Uh, I heard about a little boy that for Christmas he got a baseball glove, got a baseball bat, got a baseball, and he was so excited. He loved baseball, and his dad loved baseball. And, uh, he took his stuff, and he wanted to go play, but everybody else in town was gone. All of his friends in the neighborhood were out of town for Christmas. So he took his ball and he took his bat and he went out and got his hat and it was probably Atlanta Braves hat, poor kid, but he probably had his Atlanta Braves hat and, you know, because he's from around here. And so he took it out and he, he got ready to play and he was pretending in his mind what the game was like. And so he built up that there were stands and there was a crowd and everybody was watching. And some of you remember what that's like to have an imagination when you're a little kid. And he gets his bat and he gets his ball and he gets ready and he looks out to the, the field where he's standing and he throws the bat the ball up and as he leans into hit he says ladies and gentlemen the world's greatest hitter and he swings and he misses he says strike one so he's got to play every part it's his imagination and so he picks the ball up and dusts it off and he looks you know maybe the ball's messed up and it's not and he gets his bat and he does his feet and he's seen other people do that and he gets back and gets ready and he's imagining he's standing in in one of the greatest games ever and he throws the ball up and he swings again and he misses he says strike two so this time he's a little concerned, you know, because he was here planning on being the greatest hitter of all times. And so he gets his bat again, he checks it out, bangs it a couple of times, and, you know, kicks again on his cleats, and he gets the ball, makes sure there's nothing wrong with the ball. So this time he gets ready, and he gets up, and he gets the ball, and he throws it up. He says, ladies and gentlemen, the world's greatest hitter. And he swings and strike three, and without missing a bit, he says, ladies and gentlemen, the world's greatest pitcher. Isn't it amazing how our perspective on things can change every situation? I mean, the difference between being the strikeout king of the world and the world's greatest pitcher is all in your mind. And what I want to suggest to you this year is that for 2016, as we move into a new year, that we would examine what kind of perspective we have. It's a week of resolutions. Everybody's making resolutions. New beginning. We, we hope that this year is like a push button, start everything over again. We need new diets and new commitments and, and new goals. And some people make spiritual resolutions. We, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to try to be in church more. This year I'm going to do a ministry. We want to get involved more, join a small group. And all of those things are good. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that God really doesn't want or need any more resolution. You see, God's not looking for resolutions from you. What God wants is your heart. He just wants you. Don't want you to try harder. Doesn't want you to, to make even more effort. He just wants you to open yourself up and give Him yourself. Every inch of yourself. Every area of yourself not about making goals and those things are good don't hear, hear me i want you to pray more i want you to come to church more i want you to read your bible more but you see what god is looking for is every day you allowing him to have a little more of you and as you have a little more of him he begins to become more of an intimate relationship for you you see a spiritual commitment is not about making a resolution that this year in 2016, I'm going to be a better Christian. You know, what it is, is it's making a commitment that on Monday morning, January the 4th, I, I'm going to let God have a little bit more of me. 
And on Tuesday morning, January the 5th, I, I'm going to open my heart up and let God have some areas that maybe I've been holding back. And on Wednesday, January the 6th, I, I'm going to open up even more and I'm going to step out on faith in some areas that I had. You see, that's what God is looking for this year. It doesn't happen as a one-time commitment. It happens in an every moment of every day thing. Living constantly aware that, that God is with you. That's the message of Christmas. And if we can't take that into the new year, then we've missed it. That, that God came and, and He's not up in heaven, the man upstairs, or, or he, He's not some grandpa that grants our wishes if we pass on Facebook posts. That's not who He is. He's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that wants to walk with you and talk with you and cry with you and laugh with you and hurt with you. That's who God is looking for in 2016. You see, one of the ways that I think you and I can get there, one of the ways that I think we can make a difference this year where we haven't in the past, is to develop a new perspective. To begin to see the big picture, to begin to see that God is in control and that God has a plan and God has a purpose. And so as we chase hard after Him, as we pursue Him, as we open our hearts up, all of a sudden we gain a different perspective on what life is like. Because see, God sees things differently. See, God sees your yesterday and He sees your last year. But God also sees your tomorrow. See, He sees it right now, just like He's, he's seeing this moment. Tomorrow and next week and next month are just as vivid to him. And you see, for us to make a difference this year, for us to be a little more in tune with him, I want to pray that God would give you his perspective, that you would begin to see things through his eyes, a little different lens. Instead of seeing things through your preconceptions or through your background or through where you've come, begin to look at things and look at people and look at circumstances and look at situations through the way he sees them. And one of the ways I want to suggest that we can do that is to follow Paul's example. Because if there was ever anybody that knew all about perspective, it was Paul. I mean, think of all the things that Paul went through in his life. Think of all the difficulties and the circumstances, but he never allowed those things to get him down. I mean, Paul is in prison, right? On threat of being killed. And, and, and what, does, what, what do they do while they're in prison? Paul and Silas, they start singing. They're worshiping. You know, now we, we get the picture of that, that scene, I know from our flannel board vacation Bible school times that you and I that grew up with that, grew up in church. You know, it was a real clean, pretty scene. You had Paul and Silas sitting over here and the flannel board had the jail, you know. And it, no, this is a dungeon he's in. It's grimy and filthy and dirty and people are chained to walls under the threat of death. Paul doesn't know if he is going to be alive in the morning. And what does he do? Chained in filth and in mess, he begins to worship. See, that's a different perspective. Most of the books that we read, including the verses that we're going to look at this morning, Paul wrote while he was in prison at the end of his life. Paul had already been beaten and shipwrecked and stoned, and left for dead. And here he is in prison, knowing that he is probably going to forfeit his life. And you read through these verses, and you say, wait a minute, he, he sees things differently than I do. Paul had a unique perspective. One of the ways I think we can get that perspective is by reading this verse this morning. Our verse 
that I want you to see. And, and I know I've taught on this verse before. It's my life verse. It's one of those verses that, that resonated in me when I had a need for God more than anything else. When I was struggling about where I wanted to go and struggling about what I wanted to do and struggling about how God was going to be a part of my life. And God spoke this verse into my life. And so it has resonated from then on. And so I, I have a tr- tough time not teaching it every time I preach just because I think it's so profound. But I think it gives us a great idea of how Paul gains the perspective he has. So I want you to listen. This is Philippians chapter 3, and you'll recognize it if you've been in church. Starting in verse 12, and I'll read down to verse 16. You've got it in your order of service. It says, not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on. That word press on is the same word, the same verb tense as straining. I I give it everything that I've got toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Very similar language to what we read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians. Then he says this in verse 15, All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. It's a sign of maturity that that's our goal. That we should take on this same thing. If on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. I like that. It's the same thing he was telling us in Ephesians, that we have a higher calling to live up to. See, Paul is trying to help us gain a new perspective on what life holds for us, a new perspective on what the new year might hold, a new perspective, a new way to look at maybe some of the difficulties that you encountered this past year. So I know some of you, you look at last year and and you feel like that, that batter again, you feel like you struck out. When in reality, maybe if you look at it through God's eyes, you'll see that all that you endured and all that you struggled with and all that you had difficulty in last year was just God preparing you for what he had for you in this year. It gains a different perspective. How do we get that kind of perspective? How do we begin to see things the way God sees them, to look differently? Well, Paul gives us a few things he says here. and I just want to give you a couple of quick suggestions. He says, first of all, Paul recognized that he wasn't finished. He wasn't done. Here's Paul, who if you go back and read the first part of chapter 3, he just talked about all that God had used him for, all that he had done, and he prefaces the whole statement we read here by saying, not that I have already obtained all this. And he goes on in verse 13 and says, I'm not there yet. See, what Paul wants us to understand is no matter how old you are or how young you are, no matter how much you've done for the kingdom or haven't done for the kingdom, you are not finished. You have a job to do. Paul said, I'm not there yet. I can't sit back. This this idea that somehow we can take a time out in Christianity, that we can take a, a, a vacation from what God has called us to can't take a time out from your marriage. can't take a time out from being a parent. I mean, I know you wanted to, right? When your kids were little and they're screaming and hollering and you're, you're like, I'm going on vacation. I'm just walking out, right? Time out. But you can't. Why? Because you love them, because you have a commitment towards them, because they are yours. And you can't take a time out from your walk with the Lord just as much as you can't take a time out from your relationship with the body of Christ. I remember I had somebody a couple of years ago, several years ago, tell me they were leaving the church. They said, we love the church, and we love your teaching, and we love everything that's going on, but we just feel like we, if we come here that we've got to serve, and we don't want to serve. I mean, they said that. 
They said, you know, you always, and I used to say this, and I, I was real careful after this, but I used to say this every time. When I would give an invitation, I'd say, we don't want you to come and sit. So if you're looking for a place to come and sit, don't come here. We want to looking for people to come and serve. They said, you always say that, and we felt like, hey, we just want to sit. So we're going to go find some place we can sit. Now, most of us probably wouldn't vocalize that, but at some point in our Christian walk, we've done that. To God, I'm tired, man. I, I'm teaching, I'm working the nursery, I'm singing, I'm doing this, and I'm doing all this, and nobody else is doing anything, and I, I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to take a vacation. Listen, it's okay to step away from ministries for a while, but you don't step away from serving God. You don't step away from your relationship to God. There is no break from being a Christian. Why? Because you have a relationship. Paul said, I'm not there yet. I'm not giving up. I'm going with everything that I have. If anybody had a reason to say, I'm taking a vacation, it was Paul. He's in prison. Been going nonstop for 15 years. Missionary journeys all over the known lands. Nonstop on the road. Serving, teaching, preaching. Paul's in jail. He's at the end of his life. It'd be a perfect time for him to say, listen, I'm just going to take some time off. Titus. Timothy, you guys, you run with it. That's not what Paul said. He said, listen, I hadn't got there, but I'm going hard with everything that I've got until I do. See, Paul recognized that there are no sidelines. Maybe some of you this year, the reason you struggled spiritually is because you were not allowing God to fulfill you by being used in what you're gifted. See, some of you, God's given you incredible gifts. God's given you incredible talents. God's given you an incredible passion. Some of you, God's given you a ministry and a vision for that ministry. And you've decided, listen, I don't have time. I'm too busy at work. I'm too busy at home. I'm too... And you didn't do it. And you feel miserable. Something's wrong. Your prayers aren't the way they used to. Your worship's not the way it used to. Your passion's not the way it used to. It may be it's because you were not fulfilling that which God called. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm going to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. You know what that means? That means I'm going to pursue to find out exactly what it is that God's given me all these gifts for. And you can't do that by time out can't do that by sitting on the sidelines see it's time that we get plugged in it's time that we we continue to seek and serve and be what god is calling us to be as we as a church move and we are moving and this year we are moving people say where are we going we are moving we we have an incredibly friendly church an incredibly welcoming church and people love coming here and feel so comfortable and everybody i talk to visitors from our town they come and say listen i i feel at home there and i feel welcome but I think it's time for us as a church to move from being a welcoming and, and a church that is comfortable to an invitational church where we begin to move out of the walls and begin to reach into our peer groups, begin to minister outside more than we do inside. And as we move in this way and begin to get a vision on how we can minister to this community and how we can reach your friends and how we can begin to minister to people that are unchurched, the unchurched in this area are exploding. People say, well, there's another church. I don't want another church. Listen, we could have 300 churches in this county and it wouldn't be enough to reach the lost people. Because, see, all that's happening when churches are growing is we're just swapping sheep. Sheep are going from one to the next and we're saying, oh, we're, we're growing. No, you're not. You got all those sheep from the last church. And they move over here and they move over here. And a lot of times they say, well, I'm dissatisfied. You aren't meeting my needs. Well, church isn't supposed to meet your needs. You're supposed to meet the needs of the church. So we move around. What's, 
And so while we focus on all, and listen, I love you people that are here. I love you people that are coming from other churches. I love you people that God has called here because I believe God is calling specific people here to build his church his way. But here's where we're looking. We need to get a vision for your friends that don't go anywhere. Talking to somebody this holiday season, and it's in my message, it's in my heart. Talking to somebody this holiday season, and they were talking about Christmas carols and a song had come on, and it was Silent Night, and they didn't know Silent Night. And they began to talk about Christmas, and we began to talk about it, and we began to talk about a baby in a manger, and they had never heard of the story of Jesus' birth in a manger. And I thought, how does that happen in the South in 2016? But it's a reality. You see, most of us live in a church bubble. I remember about eight years ago, before I moved here, nine years ago, talking with a college student. We were talking about Easter, and he got saved on Easter Sunday, and he came down, and he was 19 or 20 years old. He said, I'd never heard about Jesus Christ in Easter. He said, how, do you, how can you go through life? And not, I mean, I grew up in church. I was in church from the time I was born to now. How do you not know that Easter is about Jesus Christ? That's the world we live in. And those people aren't going to come to the church simply because we have a pretty sign or a pretty building. They're going to come because somebody has it in their heart to go out and reach out to them and say, listen, I know there's a place where you can belong. I know there's a place where you can become what God has for you. Come and be a part of our place. To do that, you can't do it on the sidelines. It means having a different perspective, seeing things differently. Paul said that we need to realize that we're still in the game. The second thing that Paul understood is he recognized the value of time. Time is so precious and so valuable, but most of us don't recognize it. Most of us don't realize it until it's gone, do we? I read a thing that said, if you want to know the value of one year, ask a student who fails a grade. If you want to know the value of one month, ask a mother whose baby arrived prematurely. If you want to know the value of one week, ask someone who's living check to check. If you want to know the value of one hour, ask someone who lies terminally ill waiting for a loved one to arrive. If you want to know the value of one minute, ask someone who missed an airplane or missed an appointment. If you want to know the value of one second, ask an Olympic silver medalist. Time matters. Time matters because we have a limited amount of it. All of our life is jumbled together into segments of time. What makes something valuable? It's availability, right? The scarcer something becomes, the more valuable it is. See, I think that's why there's such a gender gap in people today. Because you see, when you're young, you've got all the time in the world. So it doesn't matter if you want to play a video game for hours because it's just hours. When you get old, you recognize how valuable time is. And so older people look at younger people and say, don't you understand time is valuable? And younger people say, no, i got all the time in the world. But you see, time becomes more and more valuable the older you get, the more you recognize how rare it is. The Bible speaks about the brevity of time. It compares life to a shuttle that rapidly goes back and forth, the shadows of summer that quickly disappear, the grass which grows and dies and is burned. The psalmist asks, what is man that you are mindful of him? He's a puff of air. Our lives are like that, and they're gone. Statistics tell us that the average lifespan in the United States of America today, men and women averaged out, is right around 75 years. Now, if you're 30, that's a a long time. 
But if you're 50, that's coming quick. And some of you are already on borrowed time, and time is even more precious. Amen? You see, what we begin to recognize is that time matters every moment of every day, and we can't waste. You see, Paul knew that, and it changed his perspective. It changed the way he looked at things. It changed the way he thought of things. I looked up some statistics about our lives. If we live 75 years, listen to this. Most of us will have spent three solid years, 24 hours a day, in school. Grade school, high school, college, three solid years. Some more, some less. We will have spent seven years, 24 hours a day, seven years eating. Some more, some less. 14 years, 24 hours a day working. 14 years, 24 hours a day of our 75-year lives working. Five years riding in vehicles. Five years talking with others. One year sick or recovering from sickness. 24 years sleeping. Third of our life. 75 years, 24 years of it. 24 hours a day sleeping. We will spend three years reading books, magazines, or the Internet. And I think that's probably gone up with social media. Much more than three years now. 12 years amusing ourselves. Hobbies. Movies, watching TV, vacation, that all adds up to 75 years. And I looked at those statistics and I wondered, what about church? What about our spiritual life? Let's say for every Sunday of the 75 years of your life, you came to church. Every Sunday, that adds up to five and a half months of a 75-year life. Say, Pastor, I'm more spiritual than that. I come on Wednesday night. Two hours. Let's give you two hours a week, okay? Two hours a week for your 75-year life. That's 11 months of 75 years that you spent worshiping with the body of Christ. Five years in a vehicle, 12 years amusing ourselves, 11 months in worship. Tells us a little bit about our priorities and our time. The Bible teaches that life is uncertain. We don't even know if we have tomorrow. Time is precious and valuable. Paul says that when you can grasp that, it changes how you see every moment of every day. It changes how you see every opportunity to say, I forgive you. I love you. Let me tell you about the hope that I have. Paul understood time. Paul understood that there was no timeouts. And, and then probably one of the most important things that he has here, and, and where I just want to stay for a minute, is Paul said something that's strange here. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind I press on towards the goal. That sounds like two things. One thing I do, no, two things you do. Forget what is behind it. And, and you see, forgetting is not something we do easy, right? God gave us incredible minds, incredible brains. It's hard to forget stuff, isn't it? I mean, shoot, you hear a song and all of a sudden you're, you're back to that moment in time where the first heard the song. I remember a couple of weeks ago I went and saw Star Wars, the new Star Wars, my son, and we went the night of, the night release before, and we waited in line. At two hours we were out there with people. All the Star Wars nerds and me. I was an old man there. There were other guys my age, some older. But as I stood there in line with all these teenagers and everybody talking about all the Star Wars nerd stuff and listening, and it took me back to 1977. Standing in line with my buddies to see the first Star Wars. Because see, our minds are like that. They're like a, a running memory that we can just snap into. So, so for Paul to say, forget what is behind, he's not telling us to forget our past. He's not telling you, because you can't. But what he is telling us is to not allow our past to become our tomorrow. 
He's saying, what I'm doing, Paul, is I'm moving ahead and not being in bondage to my past. You see, what happens to a lot of people is they are in bondage to the last mistakes that they've made, disappointments that they've done, things that they've let down. And they let those things pave the road for tomorrow. And you can't. Paul says, some of you, it's time to let go of the past. You're forgiven. Move on. It's forgotten. Move on. Some of you beat yourself up. I can't do this and I can't do that because you don't know where I've come from. God knows and he called you to it. So move on. Some of us aren't living in past mistakes. We're living in past victories. See, some of us, the greatest parts of our spiritual lives are deep in the past. It should never be that way. See, God wants your greatest spiritual victories to be in 2016, not 1986. See, our hope is that as long as we're looking, that's why, that's why Paul says, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Or Jesus said that. You know why he said that? Because once we start looking back, we're no good for tomorrow. We, we start driving. Have you ever tried to drive looking in the rearview mirror? You can't. You don't see where you're supposed to go. Paul said for us to have the right perspective, it can't be looking back. It's got to be looking forward. It's got to be trusting Him. It's got to be letting go of the past, letting go of how the past has held us in bondage, not living there. I love the story of Joseph. As a matter of fact, I love it so much, it's going to be the next series. We're going to, we're going to start here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to, we're going to study Joseph's life in the Old Testament. Incredible story. I mean, think of all the things, if you know Joseph's story that he went through, it's a story of love and hopes and dreams and betrayal. It's a story of mental and physical suffering and eventual victory over great adversity. I mean, think of Joseph's life. He's God's chosen son. He's his dad's favorite. And his brothers beat him up, throw him in a well, tell his dad he's dead, and sell him into slavery. He's taken away as a teenage boy into slavery, put into a horrible situation where standing up for his values, he's thrown in jail. He's in jail forgotten. Years. Abused. Separated from those he loves. A foreign land. But in the midst of all that, God still had a plan. And God used him for incredible things. And the thing I like about Joseph is while Joseph was there in the foreign land, he got married and had two kids. And we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks or probably in a month or so. But Joseph's first son, he names him Manasseh. And Manasseh in Hebrew means forgetting. Actually, it means forgetting everything in the past. And he tells us in Genesis 41, 52, he named him Manasseh because God has caused him to forget his struggle. See, I'm praying this year some of you have a Manasseh. That God allows you for once to move beyond. Maybe you hurt somebody in the past. Maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe words that have stung you have continued to hold you down. And it's time for you to cut those cords. Maybe you had a coach told you you weren't good enough. Or a loved one that told you you weren't smart enough. Or you could never amount to anything. Or you're not pretty enough or handsome enough. Or, or you'll never amount to anything in life. It's time to cut those things. To have a Manasseh and allow God to cause you to forget. But then I love his second son. Joseph's second son, he named him Ephraim. And Ephraim in Hebrew means blessed in the land of my affliction. What it means is, in the midst of my pain, God brought blessing. That's a different perspective. 
See, while we read Joseph's story, we're thinking, sad, sorry, horrible. Joseph is seeing blessings in the midst of my suffering because that's the way God is. But it takes a different set of eyes. to. Paul said, I forget what is behind and what. Lastly, I press on. I stay focused on him, following hard after him to lay hold of that, to grab the prize for which God has called me heavenward. You see, my hope and prayer for you in 2016 is that every day you will be in passionate pursuit of a relationship with God. That probably will mean more prayer. It probably will mean more commitment to quiet time and reading your Bible and coming to church and being a part of the body, being in a small group. I don't know what it looks like for you, but God will tell you if you begin to open your eyes. For some of you, it may mean you need to serve been sitting on the sidelines for a long time. You've got an incredible gift. There, there are probably ministries that this church needs to be doing that you're supposed to be leading that we haven't been doing because you haven't been leading. And I don't tell you that to put guilt on you. I tell you that to set you free. I tell you that to let you know if God's given you a gift and He wants you to do something, come talk to me. We'll find a way for it to happen. Now don't come and ask me to do it because it's not my gift and it's not my vision and it's not my dream. It's yours. Kind of like when people come to me and say, Pastor, I need you to pray that somebody will share Jesus with a loved one. Okay, I'm going to pray that you will share Jesus with that loved one. See, don't pray for anything unless you're willing to put yourself in the answer. 2016 can make a huge difference if we only changed our perspective. And everything we do, give God glory. You see, what determines whether you're the greatest pitcher or the greatest hitter or the strikeout king is you. Your heart, your passion, your service, your perspective. And that starts today. Because you know when forgetting about my past is? That's an hour ago. That's yesterday. That's the Christmas holiday. Last year, it's 20 years. Today. God says, I create all things new to those who loved and called according to his purpose. Why not put last and the past behind you? Why not trust God? The thing I love about the Word of God is it reminds us that the closer we get to him, the more our view changes. Kind of like when you drive up to the mountain. I, I was driving in this morning and it was so weird because I'm so used to getting here at 630 because I got to pray and all that stuff for the early service and felt like I had all the time in the world. So I slowed down at Thunder Hill. I drive by Thunder Hill. And sun was just coming up and there were all kind of people out there. And you could tell they were foreigners because they were wearing bundles. They were out of towners. I mean, they were bundled up. I mean, they were ready for the parkas and all that. And they're out there taking pictures. And I just kind of slowly drove by and I saw the, the sun coming up and it was just peeking through. And I said, that's cool. Okay. And I started driving by and I was driving by. God said, why don't you look at it through their eyes? Some of them have never seen that sunrise. You drive by it every day. Maybe change your perspective a little. Understand what they see. Because then all of a sudden it becomes new. You see, the closer we get to Christ, the more our view changes. Changes about the people around us. Changes about our family. Changes about our church. About what we do at church new perspective that's where god's calling you to that's what'll make a difference in 26 let's pray